Now entering Nerdist.com. Today's episode was recorded at ATX Television Fest. Were you there? It was the best, right? Were you not there? Why weren't you there? Season 6 badges are now on sale. That's for next year. You don't want to miss this. They've already got some amazing things cooking. Go to ATXFestival.com. Get your Season 6 badges there. Uh, Also, they're putting up uh, videos versions of all of the podcasts that I'll be releasing and all of the panels and stuff, uh, some that I won't be releasing. Go to atelevisionexperience.com, atelevisionexperience.com, and you can see the video version of this and uh, many other panels and events that happened at ATX this year. Hope to see you in 2017. Goldberg. I'm the TV news editor at The Hollywood Reporter, and I'm here basically because the same reason that you are. I'm totally fascinated by how television is made. Um, before shows like Game of Thrones, Last Man on Earth, The Flash, and The Good Wife became hits, they went through a really long development process to get to the screen that started with a pitch and a development executive that saw a hit in the making. You know, today we're going to talk about, um, we're, today we're going to meet some of the biggest buyers in the business and talk about the hottest topics facing the industry, including ownership, peak TV, vertical integration, intellectual property, and more. Now let's bring everybody out. VP Drama at HBO, Kathleen McCaffrey. Fox VP Animation, Grant Gish. Senior VP Drama at the CW, Joanna Klein. One of the funniest development executives you'll meet, CBS Senior VP Drama, Brian Seabury. Last but certainly not least, Hulu Head of Comedy, Brendan County. Let's start with a fun one, guys. What are some of your most memorable recent pitches, and what makes them stand out? Well, wait. First of all, can I just set the set the groundwork here, which is um, all, all of us have probably heard like a million pitches, um, and I would just want to say, what is the like number one thing? I'm going to set it up for you though. But <laughs> when you get into a pitch after the chit chat. What is the most likely thing that's going to happen? I'll give you a hint. Like, if you have any kind of presentation that's going to happen and you need to use any kind of computer yeah, or technology it's going to malfunction. Always. It never works. Every time. Yeah. Technology. That's kind of a newer, yeah. at least for us, it's sort of a newer, like, people bringing in sizzle reels. And I don't know, it used to be, I used to hear the reality TV pitches and they were like, Explosions and like they brought in all these sizzle reels and it was all about that. And for us, it was always just kind of the writer coming in and like kind of quietly telling us their idea for their show. And I'm finding more and more, you know, a lot of like uh, like a more of a media presentation. A presentation, uh, presentation yeah. yeah. I, I work at a tech company and our tech never works with us. <laughs> yeah, so it's like automatically we just look like idiots at first. We're like, oh, hold on, this is going to work. Yeah. Or like if the, the, when there's a Skype call, like the Skype pitches, I don't know, I don't. I really hate like, Skype pitches. Yeah. They don't yeah. work. They don't work. <laughs> I had somebody had in their Probably presentation that, like their backup backup was a mini iPad, but they were pitching to like you know like, like five or six of us, and then some so of the producers yeah, yeah. 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 all gather around this little screen, and then like two of the producers seemed to want to see it. I would hope they've seen, seen it already. many times, yeah. but then they crowd in <laughs> and around us to watch. That's really yeah. funny because there's those times where they'll just press play. And they'll be projecting. You're watching it, and they're watching you. They're watching you yeah, watch yeah, perform. Like, yeah. oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I see what you're doing. <laughs> really you get the occasional. You see them like she's laughing. Yeah. yeah. Can you guys hear us? Okay. No. Oh, you oh. can't hear us. <laughs> Good. We were talking about Donald Trump. Yeah. It was really funny. 
funny. So we, we figured that all this out. Is, these are dangerous. I don't, does Real this dangerous. Hello, this one. Karaoke next. Okay. Is this thing on? Um, and then, and then you, of course, I'm going to let you do your original, your, your, your actual pitches. But then there's you always... Mean memorable in a good way or bad way? Either. Or either. Grant has a good one. I'm Grant's got a good one. Spot. Which one? The one with the beer. Oh, the there's a couple. That, that one was a few years ago, and sorry to repeat myself. If anyone has heard this already. Oh, sorry. Is, uh, was this, was a few, this was like four years ago, and Matthew McConaughey's brother, Rooster McConaughey, who's now famous because he has his Rooster. own show. Uh, I'm not sure what network it's on, um, but he has his own show now where it's sort of like Shark Tank. But go watch that. You'll get a sense of uh, who I'm talking about. He showed up once with an animated pitch, basically based on his life and the fact his son is named Miller Light. Which is true. So he showed up to our pitch with a case full of Miller Lite and was at least like four or five deep when he got in there. And every notes call you'd have with him, he would inevitably be... I, I remember the one, he was here in Austin, I think, at um, Maudie's or somewhere with a giant margarita. And he, I know that because he told us. He's like, we've had about four of these. This will, make, this will make this notes call better. But he was a real trip. Um, more recently, on the other side of, you know, it, it wasn't a bad pitch. But, and this may be a personal thing, I hate when people sing in pitches. It makes me really uncomfortable. We get a lot of singing pitches at the <laughs> and, CW. You uh, can imagine yeah, that. Right? <laughs> but the, this, this couple is from an 80s band. It was the Nelson Brothers. And they came in super nice. They were great. And the pitch was fine. They came in and started serenading with their guitars. And, it, I, and it's just me. Maybe it's just me. But I was just like, oh, my God, like wide-eyed. And they're beautiful voices, beautiful song. But they played an entire song that was probably on one of their albums. And I just sat there the whole time like, this is... And again, maybe it's just me. Somebody might have loved it. Kathleen probably loved no, it. She loves no, Nelson, so... Again, it's like the same thing yeah. with the, like, when you're watching and you're like, yeah. oh my God, and you're just in the... It's, so, it's, it's an too intimate personal, yeah. thing. It's too personal. Yeah. So you're just like, cool, awesome. Like, I got... Uh, you're sweating. Right. I gotta go. <laughs> sweating is another one. Profuse sweating. It's really awkward. It's going to happen. So also when Make sure you do down. that. <laughs> Wait, so do that or don't, don't do that? Sweating. When they do sweat. Well, okay. Sometimes there's a okay. puddle. It's, you know, by the way, first of all, we understand that um, there's been a lot of preparation into pitching, and we know that there's a lot of work on the writer's side and the producer's side to come in to us, and that's really nerve-wracking. So you know, you want to be as polite and give them as much time and, and you know, respect as, as possible. Um, it's sometimes it's just so painful when you see I don't know if you like we've had one we've had a number of people come in and you know usually you start with a personal story why this is important to you and some of the people have like teary eye cry like my dad you know and you're just so feeling for them but then you try to you don't know do I make light and move on or do I you know acknowledge do we talk about the dad you know how did you know and then a couple I would highly recommend you writers out there um, and I don't know how you guys feel but um, having some kind of documentation notes with you. Absolutely. Do you have a thing? Okay, because I always am so nervous for people when they come in. Just I'm nervous nothing. when a waiter doesn't write down my order. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I, like, I, like, like, I freak out. When it's yeah. like a 40 minute uh, I can write pitch that down and you're like, minutes. there's no. Me? Yeah, you take When there's like a, you know, you know there's like a 30, 40 minute pitch coming and there's no notes or paper. I get nervous for them. So we don't mind that at all. I don't mind. It's, I think it makes it more comfortable for... That's, I think, a new thing. It used to be sort of more of a show. Hopefully not 40 minutes. Yeah. It's very long. <laughs> 20, 20 minutes. 20. Well, that's funny because there, there are times where those pitches run very, very long, and you're looking at how far, how many more notes they have, and you're right. trying to estimate, like, totally. is it flipping? Counting oh, oh, now they're getting into the characters. I thought we already did that. And then it's like they're flipping again, and you're, they, you're like kind of getting underneath the page and we're like we've got about 25 more minutes of this are the ones where they keep talking and talking and talking and you're real and it's complicated we get a lot of mythology dystopian stuff you're really listening and it's like your brain's hurting you and then you know you, it's like you know 15 20 minutes in yeah i get 40 minute pitches and then they go and that's the end of act one <laughs> you're like <laughs> So it's basically not all fun and games. I mean, are there uh, other examples where you kind of know immediately that a pitch is right for you and you can just say, yes, we're in, I don't need to see 17 other pages of your document? Like, would we cut them off and say, we're buying this? You, you, you say, like, <laughs> so, save your breath? 
No, that would be fun. No, I, I let them. I let them get good, the way good tactic. <laughs> Stop right there. <laughs> Done. Here's the Business check. affairs will call. How much do you need? How much? Do you need? <laughs> I mean, talk dollars. Well, what about with like the mega producers? You know, I mean, where you've got the the Anthony Zoikers for CSI. When he comes in with a new pitch, you know, this is a guy that's made billions. Right. Do you hear him out? Does he does he even have to pitch? How does that work yeah. for the mega showrunner? No, I, at least for us. Everybody is pitching. It's a it's an even playing field in that how they are coming in and letting us know what their show is and having us decide on the show. Now, obviously, yeah, if I have a you know if there's a big producer who's at our in-house studio who therefore we've maybe even heard that they are working on a show for us and they walk in, I understand that that's different, but it's no different in how they have to go through and lay out their pitch. There's the days of kind of you know just saying I'm a giant producer and here's three sentences and you need to buy this are over. Certainly certainly where I work it's over. Um, what, I mean, how is, you know, when we're, as we're talking about like the competition from everybody else and you mentioned buying from your own studio, how has the competition from everybody else really changed um, the scripted game and, and the buying process? I mean, you know that if you hear a really good pitch and they're going to take it to 17 other outlets and Netflix has more money than God, how does that change your approach? Straight to series. <laughs> it's 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 great. It's you know I sit right next to our um, our BA, um, our head of uh, business affairs, and now if there's a gr- if somebody walks in like you were talking about before, big producer, big director, and there's also a script, and we have to com- compete with HBO or you know Netflix or you know uh, FX. A lot of times we have to go. You know the, the the deal on the table is straight to series. That's where they, the negotiation starts, uh, which is kind of a tricky place to be. And I think for us, a, a studio, a more traditional studio like Twentieth, we understand that part of the game. And if we want to buy something that we like, we'll do our typical offer. Like we're going to develop it. We're going to buy a script. And if Hulu or Netflix comes along, is like, hey, we're giving you series. We get it. We can't. We're not going to compete with that. We're not going to change our business to say. Green light. We're giving you 13 episodes. You're on the air. It's just not going to happen. So we understand it. The business is shifting. Um, I think maybe we'd step up, whatever you know, to wherever we could be to what our appetite is. But we understand we're going to lose stuff too. Same. Certain I mean, places. When I, I started at HBO eight years ago, and there was no such thing as Netflix or Hulu or I mean, there, you existed but not in the original programming space. And so now, I mean, it's much different. And we also can't. It's not that we can't compete because we've done it, obviously, with True Detective and now with Sharp Objects. We've, we've ordered things, you know, straight to series, but um, we still only program Sunday nights. So it's a little bit limited in terms of real estate. We can't just be like, you know, we want to win this, so we're going to give you 13. We actually have to look at the schedule and be like, well, where would that actually fit? So it's a little, we know we're going to miss out on stuff, and there are things that are being, and I know we're going to talk about this, but packages come in, and the, if there's a producer, director, writer, a script, you're like, oh. I, it would be silly for me to put it into development, so I guess it's going to go elsewhere. You know. You guys yeah. are doing just fine. We're okay. <laughs> <laughs> guys, it's really hard. I mean, I guess, you know. <laughs> it depends on the the show, but I think the the showrunner and the writer is also looking for the best home for their show, and the best home may be the place that's offering thirteen, or the best home may be the place that they just really want it on that. Air and maybe they're not at 13, but I think that that, that showrunner may still have something to, to think about. I don't know. And certainly, all things being equal, if everybody's at the same offer, then they're then I think they're really thinking about where do we where where does the show have the best chance to to thrive? Yeah, and then that's where sort of marketing comes in. That sort of discussion. And so for us, I think a lot of times we do have our marketing and, and PR folks in the loop from an early stage. Uh, because if they get it and they know how to roll this out, especially when there's so much great TV out there, I think to make a case to the the creators, like, you know, we love your show, we get your show creatively, but we're also going to really support it. Um, I think that's that has to be part of the equation, too. Does the development process, does the straight-to-series pickup really change the development process? I mean, we've seen a lot of stuff that's get, that gets picked up straight-to-series and that never makes it on air. Yeah. Um, so the first two things we did were straight to series, uh, casual and difficult people, and it changes the development process in that I think it makes it le- the, create, the creative process less theoretical. So what I mean by that is when you're giving notes or you know writing scripts that you know you're going, you're shooting in 
three weeks, your idea versus my idea, like it better be the best idea. And because if it's great, we'll all look great. And if it's it's bad, we're all going to look really bad. So like, let's be honest about where we how we feel. Because I think a lot of times when you're just developing scripts that you're not sure are going to go anywhere, there you can have a the, the the relationship can be contentious where you're sort of fighting over uh, or arguing or, or over-examining something that may not be necessarily worth it, but when you know that it's, you're actually going to turn the camera on, you have to be honest with sort of the feedback and thoughtful about the feedback. I also think this, this straight-to-series idea, the sort of tendency to do that now, has made has changed the development process, especially for us. I know AMC does this too, but we've been doing a lot more. Like, a script will come in that we've developed. You know, we've done X amount of drafts, and it's, it's good, it's promising. We'll then do a little overview period. We'll put, to, we'll put together a couple weeks of a writer's room and have them beat out a seasonal arc, because you do, you know, look, we put a lot of money into this stuff. You want to know where it's going. You want to know what you're buying for eight or ten episodes. And so... This new, this new sort of everybody's doing it kind of thing. That's become a tactic for us too. Is like, okay, we'll we'll take the script, but then we want to do we'll we'll put together a room for you, and we, we want to see another script in a bible or a format or something like that. So that's been that's kind of, that's very new and very becoming more common for us too. Um, just quickly for for us, it's it's hard for the CW to compete um, just monetarily against other buyers. But so what we try to do is, um, we, you know, we we really don't compete. You know, in that way, what we try to do is find writers that we love working with, um, and and have relationships with, and try to find projects that we hope that they're interested in. So do it the backwards way. If it's a book property or just an idea, to try to entice them because that's key. Is you know the writer. Um, you know, given the amount of competition, how much have you guys seen? We've talked about this. How much have you seen the, the total number of pitches change? I mean, are you getting pitched more, or is it or or less? I, the amount of pitches coming through the door is down over the past couple of years, um, but our buying isn't completely down. You know, we, we buy 45, 50 ideas in a given pitch season, and you know, we shoot about eight pilots. And this year, we shot seven pilots, and five just went to series. Um, so I don't know. The numbers ultimately, I think, are are healthy. I think we were nervous when fewer were coming through the door, but I think for us. It just, it was just the ones that, I think there were just more coming through the door that we wouldn't have bought anyway. And, and that's just from a place where I'm buying for a very specific place at CBS. So I don't know, that's been my experience. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just surprising that, you know, given you, that the landscape is so, there's so much out there to, to choose from that you guys are hearing less. I mean, it's... It seems, yeah. Well, there's probably more pitches, but each buyer is hearing fewer, right? I mean, I, maybe if you ask an agent or an independent studio, they might say they're hearing more than they ever have before because they get to then take it out to the marketplace. But now you're talking to the buyers, and it's just more diffuse. Um, how do you know when, when, as you're hearing these pitches, obviously tech failures notwithstanding, um, <laughs> how do you know when something's right for you guys? I mean, have you heard pitches where you're like, this is a hit show, but it has, it's not for CBS? I have heard pitches that I feel are not for CBS, for sure. Um, you mean, yeah, certainly they didn't kind of have enough. Yeah, certainly I've heard pitches that I think are good but didn't quite belong with what with what we're doing. Definitely, um, I don't know. I you know I think we're going to say a lot of the same things here. But you, you when you are hearing a great pitch, you hear how personal it is. You hear how it's a story that, that this writer just has to tell, and it can be something you know kind of small and just about one character, or it can be. When I heard Jonah Nolan pitch Person of Interest, which is, you know, large mythology and all this, it was intensely personal in the way that he made it and about, I won't get into his pitch, but about him growing up. And, you know, you just knew that he had to tell kind of his story or this story through the prism of this of this much kind of larger kind of high concept for us show. Yeah, and it's great when, I think, when you can tell, when the pitch is going really well, you can tell that the writer is having a lot of fun. And it's just kind of coming out. Um, and you can tell, you know, like you were saying, that it's personal. And you end up talking not necessarily about the plot or even the characters necessarily. You're talking sort of about the larger themes. And, you know, like, for instance, with Casual, we 
didn't really t- we talked a little bit about sort of the brother sister relationship, but more about sort of uh, relationships in general and just kind of throwing stories back and forth. And, and to, for for us, because you know TV is you know kind of like a novel, it's and the, while the show is serialized, I think it was about finding the, the ex, what the experience of the show is going to be. Um, sort of vis-a-vis that writer's voice and that writer's perspective and, and when they just start talking about it and you can tell that this is the idea that they themselves think about all the time they may have eight other ideas but this is the one that they think about you know, in their morning bath right. <laughs> uh, this, that's when it starts to click where you're like okay this is, this is something special well, to that end, by the way, because um, we do a pretty extensive um, pre-development. I'm sure you guys probably do too. So we don't, meaning that, you know, we try not, we try to avoid having writers and producers come in um, with pitches that really aren't right for us because we just don't want to waste their time, even if it's not only preparing for it, but just the hour of sitting there and driving the parking in L.A. Um, so, you know, what's, what's more painful is when we hear a pitch and it really does seem right for us, but it's just not right. It's just not inspiring. And you can feel that in the way that he was talking about, you know, just you're not, you don't, you don't feel the passion. It feels like they may have developed it because they think it's what you want. And it does hit, you know, nine out of 10 checkboxes, but you're just, you're just not really feeling the world and the characters in a way that you can see, you know, seven seasons of it. Um, and you're not, you're not feeling the, the, the love for those characters. And that's really yeah. what you... There's a lot of great writers and a lot of great shows out there, but there's fewer voices. And I think that's kind of what, at least for us, sort of separates the, you know, the people, certain shows from the pack, I think. It's like if that voice is sort of starting to shine through. Yeah, yeah their point of view, the specific yeah. point of view. We always say that we use the term voice a lot. You want to find that voice. You know, Seth MacFarlane has a different voice than a lot of other people out there telling stories. He can tell the same story that you've seen in a hundred different shows, but the way he tells it through his point of view is going to be completely different, which I think is huge. I look for that a lot in a pitch, and if you can, if you can recognize that, that this person's telling a story that you may have heard before, but in a different way, that's a good check mark. And then also, if you can, if I start talking about it with them in the pitch, and 30, 40 minutes go by, you're like, that's a good sign. If you can just sit there and spitball on ideas, so you know there's something wrong. there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think that I think that we all can probably agree that there are really no new stories, like short of them, like adding on different kind of hook or mythologies. Like you know, like you can add a lot of stuff to it, but at the end of the day, it's a father-son story, it's a family story, it's whatever it is at its core. And finding someone who can who's just talking about something familiar to you in a new way, even as just an, a TV audience member, that's what you look for in the TV that you watch. So in a pitch, it's the same thing. I'm just like, am I moved by this? Am I so invested? Am I so excited by this idea? And that's kind of it's, there's a lot of instinct involved too. Yeah, sometimes it's better to have, like, a B idea, you know, B-plus idea, but just executed in an A-plus way rather than have, like, an A-plus idea that's, like, amazing. Wow, that's just, like, I've never thought of that. And then you hear it, and you're, like, not really interested in that character. You know, it's such a shame, but that's that's really important. I mean, given all the competition, how important has it been about sticking to your brand identity and... You know, is there a, a point where you kind of talk with you know the network executives and about what that is, or if that's evolving? Um, I mean, is basically, is it important to stay in your lane, or will you continue to take big bets that really don't seem like something that would play on your specific counter network? Well, I have a pretty strong point of view about that. Um, I've been at the CW for over you know since the beginning of the CW about um, over nine years, and we started out pretty uh, pretty girly. It was Gossip Girl that launched us. And we were 18 to 34, and we were focused primarily on women. And we realized that that was, you know, too narrow as our brand identity. Um, and we wanted to broaden. But we always, we've always been 18 to 34 youthful. You know, that's really just it. Um, and then every year when we, um, you know, put on the air, we pick up a different type of show. I kind of hear it anecdotally from people. Wow, I'm so surprised that the CW would do that type of show. But to me, we have been really staying in our lane. We've been, you know, aside from a shift to now we're 50-50, pretty 50-50 men and women, which I'm really happy about, um, we're sort of anything goes. So when we did Rain, you know, which is Mary, Queen of Scots, in the, you know, 16th century France, it was like a period piece. And I'm like, no, that's just youthful people who are, you know, the great soapy stuff that we love with a big idea. And we did, you know, The Hundred, and that's post-apocalyptic, and what? That's so dark. But no, it's like young people who are proactive and there's wish fulfillment to it. 
And then Jane the Virgin, wait, that's funny, that's a comedy, that's not really your thing. I'm like, no, but these are young people trying to figure out their lives with a bigger idea and crazy, ex- you know, so the list goes on. But so to me, as a development exec, I, you know, I want to do something else and I want to give back to our loyal fans and our audience something that is going to, you know, be similar to what they have watched in the past, but, you know, and then a little something else. And of course, you know, we're not always right, and sometimes, you know, that's not exactly what they wanted, but we try to guess as best we can. But I think we try to, you know, we're brand managers. I mean, that's what we do, really, is just manage our brand and, and hope that um, we get it right. But we always want to build a little bit and just test it a tiny bit to see, um, you know, what our audience is, is, is interested in. The Hundred is my dad's favorite show. Just oh, you know. thank you. He's always like, why don't you do something like that? I'm like, cool. I'm like, do you watch anything else on HBO? He's like, he watches Game of Thrones, but he's also like, you, The Hundred. He's like, thank God I still have that on Friday night. Okay, Dad. Veep is my favorite show. The best. Um, what I mean, in terms of, I mean, you touched a little bit about packaging um, that's becoming more and more the norm, especially in the straight-to-series era. Um, does that make the process easier for you guys or more challenging? I've, I've, I have varied opinions about this because I think there are some times where it's great and you're so excited about all the elements involved. But I also, I've had such a wonderful experience developing an HBO where you start with the writer an idea and then build it on your own. And obviously so much of our jobs is working to meet great writers, great senior writers, great directors, you know what I mean? You want there's something so fulfilling about putting it together in house um, that I and I appreciate a great package. I really do, and obviously we've had some success with it. But I still I still am like, don't worry, like don't you don't have to bring in a director. Like I still will take a young writer's idea. I get a lot of joy in putting something together myself versus like the agents call and they're like, you got to hear this. It's the you know everybody's involved. And you're like, well, that's a lot of you, cooks. You too, never hear so. a great pitch from a writer and go, God, I would have bought it if only there'd been a director attached. 100%. That's right. That's 100 percent right. Right. I don't. I think I think it can go either way. I see I see merit in both, but I still personally for myself love just like writer and then let's take it from there. Writer, great idea, point of view. Let's take it from there. You can't fake any of that other stuff. Yeah. Great writer, great point of view. You can package it all together and it'd be great, but at the end of the day, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. There's nothing good to direct. There's nothing good to put on the screen. Um, yeah, it's basically an insurance plan a lot of times because yeah. it's like, oh, well, if it sucks, then you're like, well, you know, we bet on this person, this person, this person. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily make great TV. I think there are instances where it does, but I, I think I agree. Yeah, like I, I think I agree with you in that I think a lot of the hits come from just someone believing in something that the entire town passed on or the entire town didn't get, and it took somebody to like say, I get it, and then just be patient with that writer and sort of bring it to life. Those the are the ingre- most exciting ones, I and think. And put all the ingredients in it and cook yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, be remiss if I didn't talk about some of the remakes that we've seen lately, you know, MacGyver and Le- Frequency, Lethal Weapon, all of these are coming back next season. Um, they're in such high demand. Um, how much of that trend is driven by the need to cut through the clutter in such a competitive landscape with 400 scripted shows on the air? A hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess on the one hand, I can only buy what people are selling, right? So I guess I guess the sellers are are th- are thinking about that. I mean, truly, when we're hearing our 250, 300 pitches, they're all, you know, I heard Training Day in the same day that I heard four other pitches, you know, that weren't, that didn't necessarily have IP attached. And I think that when we were hearing those five pitches that day, we were listening for the same thing. And, you know, training day, Will Bell wrote, and he was a cop in LA and basically told us his story of his training day. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of talking about the movie. You know, he talked about why he loved the, the movie and how it informed him as a cop. And, but then he really talked to us about his training day which really became much more of our pilot story than, than anything with, with the film. So again, the great writers know how to give a reason for why they want to tell you know, 200 stories through the prism of this show. So that, that's, what, that's what we're listening for. I mean, for us, Frequency is an interesting one because I don't know that our audience really, you know, I mean, ho- hopefully they remember the movie, but I'm not really sure that that's why they're coming. It's a big idea, you know. It's a it's a father-daughter story, at least in the series, um, you know, where they're um, communicating 
through two, you know, two different time periods. And that's the big idea for us. So that in itself, you know, was an idea that came from a feature. And we were, you know, really happy to have the feature people involved with it and maybe the memory of, of the movie. Um, but typically, it's because it's really to cut through the clutter because it's, a, you know, a marketing play. We need anything we can to just be memorable. And either it's a big idea or it's a title that... Um, you know that they've heard of it's you know Betty and Veronica and, and Archie in Riverdale just to have some intrigue and right. then it of course it always has to be great it always has it's never you know but just to have some interest because there's such great we're, we're in peak TV this is there's such great TV right now you just need to find a way um, to break through I've been trying to remake Waterworld for years <laughs> Bigger budget this yeah. time. I, 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 but yeah, I've, uh, that's why I've been fired. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I heard there was free breakfast here, so that's how I got on the panel. Hey, do you guys know about FreshBooks? FreshBooks is a dead simple cloud accounting software that's saving millions of freelancers from the scourge of dealing with their day-to-day admin and paperwork. Yeah, I said scourge. It's the perfect word to describe agonizing tasks like formatting tracking invoices, managing cash flow, dealing with expense reports, chasing late payments. Nobody likes doing this stuff. Except maybe the 5 million freelancers and small business owners already using FreshBooks. They love it. Invoicing literally takes about 30 seconds. You can create and send a really professional invoice. Your clients pay you online, which uh, which can seriously improve how quickly you get paid. And everyone likes getting paid quickly. You got project deposits. There's a super handy deposit feature, so you can invoice for a payment. FreshBooks has also cracked the code on expense tracking, the worst part of running a business. You can set up FreshBooks to import expenses directly from your bank account, so next time you use your debit card for that business lunch, the transactions magically appear in your FreshBooks account. It's not actual magic. It's actually science. Coding, probably. For a 30-day free trial... Go to freshbooks.com slash writers and enter Nerdist Writers Panel in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Um, let's talk about a little bit about the mega producer. I mean, CBS is Chuck Lorre and NBC's got Dick Wolf and you guys have uh, Greg Berlanti and ABC's got Shondaland. Um, is there an over-reliance on the mega producers or is it kind of a safety play because there's really not enough fresh new voices out there? I can speak to that, too, because we have Lord and Miller on our roster at 20th, and they're about to have three shows on our air at once, which is a, three comedies on our air, which is at least half of them. I haven't done the math yet, but it's a lot, um, and most of our Sunday night schedule, um, at least half. So that happened because the shows they brought us were good. They went through the same development process. They didn't skip you know, to the front of the line. None of that happened. Uh, they went through the exact same process, and they stood out. They were good. They were very... All three are... You know, grounded characters and relationships, but with one little twist, each of them. One hook, like you guys say, to help it stand out amongst the clutter. Uh, but everything else, very relatable, very grounded, in hopes that you can attract a big, broad audience who will understand who these characters are and go along for the ride. Those but guys are the best. I love They're good. Guys. Everything they touch is yeah. genius. Yeah, but exact same process. I don't know. Like, we pass on a lot of, if Jerry Bruckheimer is our most prolific producer, we pass on probably way more Bruckheimer pitches than than we buy. I mean, we buy. We're not doing anybody any favors by putting you into script development if we didn't think the the show is right. Um, and if they, you know, Bruckheimer's going out with a show, they really believe in it. They're they're probably a better home for it than than us if we if we didn't dig it. So um, I don't know. They come in, they pitch, and we buy it if we like it. What's it like telling Jer- Jerry Bruckheimer no? <laughs> Thank you. No, sorry. You? Sorry, Jerry. I, I talked to somebody who is eight steps, <laughs> right. eight, eight people below. And then run. Bo- below his assistant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of Greg Berlanti, real quick, he, I mean, I, I would take anything from him. He's just an excellent producer. He's, he's sort of good at, at every part of his job and a really great person, too. Um, you know, and I also think part of what Grant was saying, you know, in that they're they're there on the ground, know what your needs are, kind of talk to you frequently because they're in your camp, so they you can sort of banter ideas on set when you're so they, they you know they de facto have that inside scoop about what you're looking That's for, true. so that a lot of easy conversations come up, especially for us, it's the superhero stuff. Like, what about that superhero? You know, that appeared in that show and kind of we liked, or you know, there's just a lot of easy 
casual conversations that might end up leading to insight that could lead to pitches, but it doesn't mean we put on everything. They have a lot of development, a lot of development. Um, Greg, in particular, also does a great job grooming his writers, um, for, you know, from staff writers up so that he finds great showrunners with great individual voices. I'm sure they all do that so that he knows, kind of has his eye on somebody to, to you know, run his next show and then he sort of godfathers it. So that's, a, you know, something I would recommend to anybody. Um, the biggest, one of the bigger themes that have come out of the upfronts the past two years has been vertical integration and the need for networks to own a lot of their own programming. Um, do you think the demand for ownership is going to drive prices down, or will networks have to pay more to kind of ensure that these big pitches stay in-house? That's a tough conversation. I mean, like, because we, we're owned by two studios, so it's, it's, it's even more complicated. Um, but I feel like, for us at least, you know, it, it, I thought I was going to come up with a really smart answer, by the way, now I didn't like But um, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's really a conversation mostly sort of collectively. We, we don't, you know, we, we don't have 100% say in what we buy, you know, so, it, you know, it kind of depends on what the studios want to do with it, it's, you know, not, not as much as networks. I think you're right. It has to be a conversation between networks and studios across the board. They're, they've got to find that middle place. Otherwise, it's just going to be a tug of war where nobody wins, ultimately. Stuff gets passed on because you can't make whatever that deal is. Um, it's a little easier when you have a sister studio and a sister network, but even then, you're going to have that conversation. Somebody's going to have to give. The business is changing so drastically that everybody's going to have to look at their numbers and be like, all right, we're willing to give you this if you take that. That's right. I mean, we, we, there are a lot of stuff that we don't get because our studios want to take them other places. Yeah. And um, <laughs> other places. Um, but, you know, and we, and we don't have 100% control over that. Sometimes we just hear that something was picked up, and we're like, what? You didn't even break? But, you know, they have their own strategies, they have their own business, and they have their own bottom lines, and that's what they're responsible for. So you just have to sort of respect that. Um, there's been a couple executive moves in the, in the last uh, couple weeks, post-up fronts. Um, the most surprising what? one. Don't go there. Wait, is it don't any one it. of us? Is it one of us? What did you just report? This yeah. Yeah. I did nothing. You can't prove anything. Um, you know, Bella, I'm talking about Bella at Universal Television, um, and the, the rumor is basically that she basically didn't sell enough to NBC. And this is, you know, for those not familiar, it's NBC Studios' counterpart. Um, you know, how do you, you guys as executives balance servicing your vertically aligned networks while still feeling the, the, you know, fielding the demand to sell outside? I mean, you know, when you look at Fox's schedule next year, I think 10 of 11 of the buys were from 20th. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think that's an accident. I think certainly the network hears pitches from every studio. They shot pilots from other studios, the ones that ended up succeeding happened to all on the comedy side happened to all be from 20th uh as far as a studio hand is i can't tell them you know i'm not sure what's going on over there but as far as we go we certainly go to fox first with pretty much everything unless there's a conversation to be had that you know this isn't quite a fox show we all get it we run it up the ladder and like you know what as a studio we need outside business and we do we have business at every network uh other than uh, of the big four we have shows on all the other three which is a huge part of our business so as much as we want to service fox give them the shows that make sense for them it's very important for us to take shows to the other three networks and to have that business and to keep and really more importantly to keep those shows that are already on the air there to keep them going because that's when the studio really starts to succeed in success you know after season four or five so it's very very important we haven't lost sight of that but still, obviously, we have a, an entire network of service as well. Um, Bella, I've had the you know, good fortune to work uh, with her. We work on the Mindy Project with her, and she, I think, is one of she's the uh, like an example of exactly what you want to be in terms of an executive. I think she's really nice. She's got great uh, relationships with the talent, and she has great taste. And she's making the stuff that she loves. And I think. For all of us up here, I think we all be the first people to tell you that we don't know what is going to be good next year. Like I think we we, you know, obviously we have to keep our jobs, and there's you know a, a intersection between art and commerce. But at the end of the day, you're just going with your gut, um, and there's a lot of metrics that you can look at, and you can you know help inform your decision making. But you know, I think. Bella made decisions, and I don't know what the rumors are, but like I know she made great decisions creatively. She made great shows that everybody in this audience is watching at this festival. So, um, to like I, I, you know, just just want to stand up for my girl Bella there. 
Um, on the studio side, you know, one of the things that I think is so interesting is you know we're seeing independent studios like Sony, um, and they've been willing to really do co-productions and share in that ownership, um, which has helped them get shows on other networks. Um, do you think Warner Brothers is just going to have to follow suit at some point? I mean, I think I heard they had a slice of uh, Training Day at CBS. I have no idea what happens on the on the deal making front. I know that. I know all about vertical integration all that. I also know that I believe we've put a new Warner Brothers show on our air every year for like nine years because in our eight, nine pilots that we shot, one of those that was from Warner Brothers, the script was good enough to get shot and the pilot was good enough to get ordered to series, you know? And I think the... Yeah, I couldn't speak to the rest of it. You know, it's kind of, again, my job to hear the pitches and hopefully hand in, like, eight great pilots, you know, like eight really good Blu-rays in, in May, and then somebody else makes the decisions. Um, but I, I don't know. We keep we hear pitches from literally every studio. Um, and, yeah, I know that some deal, you know, I know our Jason Kadem show is from NBC Universal. I do know that CBS Studios has an ownership stake in that. Like, I know that that stuff... I don't know. It kind of works itself out in, from at least from where I work, in different departments, and I end up really happy with the stuff that gets on the on the schedule. Um, Kathleen, what about on the cable side? I mean, you guys have um, Westworld. Westworld and Leftovers. Yeah, we have. You know, we we oh, traditionally HBO loves to own its own content. We're obviously Warner Brothers, our sister studio, but it doesn't mean that's any different than any other studio in terms of the deals or what have you. We don't like get special treatment. But so we've always owned our own stuff. We definitely opened up to studio business inter- like once it, things started to get really competitive. That was, you know, we felt like it was a smart move. There's good talent in-house. And I think to this point, we've made some... We have a template for studio deals with everyone but Disney. Like, I think we've done every... I had a Jason Kadem's deal. Like, we, you know, we have... We've tried everything. Ultimately, I think we'd still like to own our own thing. So, you know, it wasn't... We have Westworld and Leftovers, like you said, like, good enough experiences. That's all great. But I think now, you know... We're going to try to kick it old school a little and kind of just keep it keep it clean. Um, but we're not opposed, certainly, because there's good, there are great things coming. You know, it's, we would be silly to close the door and be like, no, we'll never yeah, do that. Yeah, no, you've developed with Ryan Murphy, who's at 20th, and you're not exactly. going to say no to Ryan Murphy coming in. Yes, he'll be. Right. I'm sure. He'll, yeah. For us, Ryan, we, we like we're like oh yes, for Ryan and Jason Caden, right. we'll do it. <laughs> for us, we only have 10 hours of programming, so for our studio partners to give up any money um, or time slot. Of our of the CW network to another studio is just really difficult. Um, so we originally, when the CW first started, we were buying from other studios um, outside of our studio partners, and it just was proven not a great business. You know, it's you know, so we do miss out on a lot of other studios' projects, and that's a bummer. But we have two great you know studios that we're happy with, and they have great deals, and so far so good. You have like thirty shows on those eight hours. <laughs> Yes, we do. <laughs> talk about that. Is that on your roster? <laughs> we try not to have repeats. It's all year round, yo. Um, the biggest story out of the upfronts this year was uh, stacking rights, um, the digital play. Um, how early are those conversations coming up in the development process? What do you mean? Mean meaning like during like a pitch or yeah, are you hearing anything like? Is it when you're looking at something from a different network or, is it, or a different studio? Is is it does it even come into play when you guys are hearing stuff? No, I don't think so. Not for me at all. We sort of no. go creative first and then business. We don't hear about it until, yeah, the deal-making gets going and then business affairs can handle all that. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've seen a couple of network jumpers uh, this uh, season. I don't know if you guys saw this morning, but Nashville is officially going to CMT with Hulu. Um, and then, of course, follows Supergirl coming in from CBS to uh, CW. Um is there a stigma that kind of comes with picking up something after another network has passed on it? I mean, you guys did Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which was originally developed for Showtime. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you'd have to tell me. Like, I I, I don't know that... It does, certainly doesn't bother me. I'm happy to pick off. And because we have a sort of difficult time competing um, financially with other places, I'm happy to, you know... Um, to pick up something that hasn't worked or has worked either way. I mean, I'm, you know, Supergirl's working and we're happy to have that. And if something was passed on like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend at Showtime and that wasn't perfectly right for them, I kind of, in a friendly way, I'm like, we'll take it, you know. And and if we can make it work, um, you know, we're happy to have it. I don't think the fans are, 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 you know, obviously it's different when you're talking about a piece of development that the fans haven't seen yet. Um, but what's weird about it is that 
I feel like so much of the audience doesn't necessarily know where it's on anyway. Yeah. So it's yeah. like well, national yeah. center. And if they're already yeah, if they're already so invested in that, that show, show, they just want it to keep going. I mean, I think in you know when Medium came over from NBC to CBS, I think we felt it immediately that the fans were just so excited that that was going to continue going. We were happy to have it on. On the, on the schedule. Yeah, fans of Supergirl that you know, are friends of mine are like, wait, is that on your net? No, it, oh, it's now it is. I thought it was or wasn't. Yeah. You know, they, it, they, you don't always know, and they're just happy to have the show um, continuing, and so are we if it fits our brand. I think it's an instance where the fans actually have a lot of power. When you switch a show, our, our show American Dad that was on Box for years moved to TBS and has been a huge success for them, and that's because they have a built-in die-hard audience. And because the audience showed up, they found it, from day one, it's kept that show afloat. And I think if you move a show that maybe does okay on a network but doesn't have that built-in sort of diehard audience, you're dead in the water. Yeah. You have to find those people who, no matter what, are going to find your show. And that really helps. And I think, yeah, some of the shows we mentioned, I think, will have just that, for sure. And also creatively, just have the trajectory needs there needs to be open field there, too. So we have Mindy Project, and I think when we were looking at that, one... It does really well on Hulu, and she's great, and it's a great show. But that story was not even close to being done, uh, you know, in, in terms of like where she wanted to go, um, what she wanted to explore com- comedically, but also just in terms of the plot, like what was going to happen with Danny and all this stuff. So, um, for when we took it over, it was that our job was just not to mess it up. And uh, how much did the show change when it went to Hulu? So what we 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 all it what we said was do the show that you're doing. You guys know what you're doing. We're like again, we just don't want to mess it up. Um, but what we said was these are like some toys that you can play with. Like the run times can be longer. Um, you know, obviously be smart about making choices and don't be sort of gratuitous or, or self indulgent. But like you have some time there. Also, comedically, if you want to try something, try it. Um, and then in terms of character and story, you don't have to end the episode. Because they, they asked me, you don't have to end the episode and tie it out, you know, up in a bow and be like, okay, this is the moral of the story. Like, Mindy could be confused and, like, we can end the episode there. And, you know, and th- that story can sort of take, you know, a, a season-long sort of um, journey. And I re- we were in the writer's room. They are like, well, what if we get preempted? And I said, well, what? What does preempted mean? I, I, didn't, I didn't even know what it meant. Like, you know, if, like, if the president comes on, I'm That's like, awesome. what? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, do that. They're like, no, wait, what if we get preempted? I'm like, uh, yeah, no, don't worry. Just, and then I pretended to hear something else, and I just left the room. But, like, <laughs> but it was, just, it's, yeah, it's, I think it's just about, you know, the, the journey of the story. And if it just, you know, if, it, if the fans are there and the story has more, more legs. I mean, do you see like the, the budgets change? Does that impact you guys at all in terms of when, when a show moves from one network to another? In terms of the creative, everyone's looking at me. I haven't seen that. Uh, you know, I can't speak to the budgets changing. I think that's probably true for sh- some shows. I think probably some studios would not take a show elsewhere if they couldn't get what they were making before. Um, I can't speak anything specific, but I don't think that should affect the creative. I would hope not. Um, on the development side, one of the things that you know we talk about, talk about all the time is the copycat stuff. Um, usually, where last year's trends become what you see everyone developing the year after. So right now, everything is the, the true crime stuff after the jinx and making a murderer. Um, how do you guys navigate trying to find new takes on that versus trying to not make a copycat show? I mean, yes. I feel like I we, we too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's funny because a lot of sort of we hear, I guess from ab- above, I feel like, you know, we need a we need an, our empire or we need our this, that, or the other thing. And I don't feel like, I think each thing is its own thing, you know? So, yes, there's trends and, yes, there's sort of zeitgeisty things. And there's also business reasons why um, type, certain types of um, creative work, for example, you know, you, you talk about stacking. We all know about marathoning. We all know about, you know, when which changes the trends of serialized shows versus not serialized shows if people are watching in different ways. So there's trends in that way. But in terms of, you know, a huge, you know, dance show being big, I I, I try, you know, I feel like a good show is a good show. I I, I try, and I prefer not to feel like I'm being derivative or copying somebody else, so I almost, like, stay away from stuff that hits on other places, I would say. 
Um, what about in terms of trying to to like, right now the like, comic book shows are everywhere, obviously on CW, but ABC's got Marvel and Netflix has their own Marvel deal. Um, CBS really kind of how much was the Supergirl part of trying to lean in and saying, well, we need a comic book show? That was just a pit. I, I mean, it was just a pitch. It was just a great pitch. We loved the idea, maybe of. of of, of what Greg and the whole team talked about wanting to explore with her. And so we didn't set out to say, we've got to find a way to get a superhero show, a comic book on our air. It really wasn't some agenda. It was, wow, on that day when they walked in. And again, it, you know, it's Warner Brothers walking in with Greg Berlin. I'm not going to pretend that it was, you know, just anybody off the street. They were, these were big producers with a big property. But you're still holding it to the same... To the, to the same standard as the rest and I don't know we loved the pitch and bought it in the room and, and yeah and I think a lot of other places did as well from what I understand um, I think one of the benefits of Peak TV is really the increase in diversity both you know on screen especially um, how has you know the, the increase in new voices really affected the kind of stuff that you're looking for I mean are you hearing a lot more more new stuff with diversity at the center of the theme or is it is it a man, is there a mandate there at, at your respective networks or studios? Um, I, it's, I think, you know, you, we kind of started this conversation off about you know standing out, and I think it's it's a nice time where it makes business sense and also creative sense to to really lean into voices that you've never heard before. Um, and so, especially in the comedy world, it's like you're always, you know, the same joke can be told by two different people, and uh, and one is really funny and one is not, and uh, that comes down to the voice. And if we're hearing the same voices on TV or in movies or in music or whatever it is, it's just going to get stale, and then you see a new voice come along, and it just stands out. So it actually makes good business sense, and I think all of us creatively just dig that stuff too. Um, so it's like it's it's kind of a nice time for for all of that, I think. Yeah, I think the TV audience now is bigger than ever because there's there is so much content, there's so many outlets, and people have access to it everywhere. That what you put out there has to be reflective of who's watching. And I think shows like Fresh Off the Boat, Blackish, I mean, the list goes on and on of shows that didn't exist, so you didn't pull that audience. Now there's a whole new pe- group of people who are watching these shows. It's like, oh, that, that's what I, that was like my life growing up. They couldn't necessarily relate to the same old show they've seen for the last 50 years. So I think it's it's necessary to do this, but it's also great because it does develop new voices that you haven't heard. People at home will be watching like, oh, I could tell a story like that. Um, I think the more the better. Uh, it's We're a very diverse country. You just go walk down the street. And it just makes sense to me. I think that's a big thing. I think the, the sort of the broadened accessibility of television, to Grant's point, like it used to be, it used to be like an old boys club. It just was. It was inaccessible as a job. You know, I think all, many of us came from like I come from New Jersey. It wasn't like a job to go to Hollywood. That you know what I mean? It wasn't something you could do. Um, and I think now that people, there's so much more knowledge about storytelling and where you can go to tell your stories. Like it's just the breadth of the things agents are bringing are just from they're from every people with with experiences from everywhere, which is exciting. So feels like it's changing and it feels like it's shifting in a good way and the you know sort of the loud conversation about it is only helping us bring those get those people jobs quite frankly and pay them to tell their story so good um, we're going to open it up for audience questions um, any questions uh standing up there's a mic coming your way a lot of times when you hear interviews with uh established writers, they will talk about the notes process, and there will be times that they discuss that process as being somewhat dissonant with what they see their show, and I'd kind of like to hear y'all's side of it, because obviously development executives are very thoughtful in in what you're putting on your air, and what's your side of giving a note that's maybe not well accepted? Excellent question. Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> Brian? <laughs> Brian. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> they always tell me they love my notes. Yeah. This must be about it. Must be about these four. Um, you know, look again. I have a we have a lot of things in development, right? I said we buy 45, 50 things. That's you know, each of those has a story area document, an outline, a script, you know, a draft, several several drafts get in, into the cuts. Uh, I, hopefully. 
my notes are just trying to help shepherd it to be the best thing that it is going to be. We're very conscious of not trying to turn shows into something that they aren't. I don't, I don't need to buy 50 things and try to turn them all into the same thing that I think, that I think we need, that one thing that I'm looking for. Um, we bought the pitch. The pitch had its own integrity, and, and you know we have a lot of years of experience in, in our department at, at CBS and at the studio, and hopefully I think, we're giving, I think we're giving some really good guidance, and I think a lot of the showrunners... And I can only speak to the pilot process, obviously. It goes over to current when you get into episode two through 200. Um, but for the pilot, I think, you know, there's a lot of steps, um, and hopefully we're just helping kind of shepherd the, the writer through that entire eight, nine, ten-month process. I mean, for us, you know, again, it's the brand manager thing. We just know based on what our audience has sparked to in the past and what has worked for them in the past, we try to give guidance in, along those lines. You know, it might be... You know, we, 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 you know, we tend to have a love triangle, and in that love triangle there's, like, the third person, and they're just not a viable option, for example. You know, it feels like, well, you're obviously going to go for the other guy or girl or whatever it is. And so, you know, we, we would highly recommend that you build up the other person. So, there, you know, there's certain things that we just know that potentially, you know, having developed, like, 500 pilots um, that help the writer we really do feel like we're we try to be super respectful that we know that those writers had a very specific vision and so we're just merely saying look as fresh eyes to this common you know fresh eyes to this project you know this is the way we're looking at so usually notes are something's confusing and you don't and, and confusion is death like that's really really bad for the audience if they're at least for us if you're confused then you sort of tune out fast um, so we're confused about that. that that's really important um, particularly just plot-wise, but also character-wise. We're not understanding what you're trying to get across to your audience. So it's really always mindful of, or we try to be as mindful as we can, of we're trying to help you with your specific vision, but we want the audience to understand what that vision is. You know, that coupled with, here's what our audience, we think our audience needs, but really, at the end of the day, and I've had many, you know, back and forths with writers, and we back off. You know, we're like, okay, if that's what you really think, we're just telling you what we see and trying to be as helpful as we can, but we know we're hiring this writer because we love this writer, and the writer is king in TV. I think the best notes conversations that I really are the ones that are more like a conversation where you can function as if you're on the same team because then you are. You both want to get a show on the air. There is a stigma to the notes process where it almost seems like the writer versus the suits. And I, it's too bad, and it shouldn't ever be that way because you're all on the same team. You have the same thing in mind. We're protecting the investment, but we want the best story just like the writer does. And you have to find that middle ground. But ultimately, you're right. You want to find you paid, you're paying them a lot of money to tell a story. You want that voice. You're paying for the voice. At the end of the day, they should win. They get that way unless there's, you know, something that it's if it's a production issue where you're like their choice is going to cost you 2 million dollars for a big explosion, they're not going to win that one. Right. But otherwise, you know, there's ways to, to do stuff sort of within the bounds, but I think you've got to function as a team. I think yeah. most good relationships work that way. I think that's a really good point. I mean, I think it's just sort of obvious that like if, if the show you're work we're working on is working, that's really good for me. Do you know what I mean? That means yeah. like I keep my job another year. So we want we are on the same team and I think but to your point, I just my position is just I'm I bought the show or whatever. I'm the first fan. I'll react to it if something's I'll, I'm your first and biggest fan. I'll tell you what I think. You take do with it what you will. The best I can always ask for is you being like, I'll look at that. I'm never going to demand that you take my note or my fix or my suggestion or whatever. But as long as I if I've made you think, then I feel like we're on we're on the same team and we're at least it's an open dialogue. In the front. Voices. Um, I read an article really quickly that said that in the new season, the showrunners are 90% white and 80% male. So are you seeing more diverse people pitching in the room? And what initiatives do, are, are there for diverse voices to be in the room? I mean, we, we just have such a strong interest in, in kind of everything these guys were saying in hearing new voices. And that's part of new voices. I mean, I think clearly what you're seeing and with the statistics, of course, is just is catch-up. I, I shouldn't say just because it sucks yeah. and, and it should be yeah. quicker, but it really is totally. catch-up. It's that, you know, showrunners are... Showrunners is a nearly impossible job. I mean, it really yeah. is like running a, you know, million-dollar corporation with no experience. And there's so many... Par- I mean, not obviously over the years, but, if you know, at the, the first time. And so if you... 
you know, when you're, you're learning a million different things. So um, now these showrunners have been doing that job for 10 years, you know, and that's why they've been rehired by all of us because they have experience. We try very hard to hire, you know, staff writers and story editors and all the way up so that in a few years, you know, those people will catch up and, that, you know, it will reflect you know, the audience and it will reflect society, now is just catch up. But to do our jobs well um, and increase diversity, you know, we we really try hard. I mean, we, we do have mandates on our writing staffs to have, um, to include diversity, and that's for all the reasons that they mentioned. It's just to have a voice in the room that reflects, you know, um, a lot of different ways that, that um, people think. I mean, I, I heard this story once that just I'd like to share because it really resonated. Um, and it was about um, a, a tech company that, not yours, it was a tech company that, um, you know, they were trying to upload an app and they just couldn't, and for some reason, like half of the things, half of the pictures were upside down and they just couldn't figure out what was going on and why what was wrong. And it turned out that um, it was because all of the people who were programming and uploading this app were, were right-handed, and it just what so it's like the, all the left-handed people that were using this function were, it was becoming upside down. So it just makes you think it's just really just another point of view that's so new. It's just a neutral thing, but it's not a judgment. It's just a different point of view to make sure that you're looking at things all different ways. And to us, you know, that's in front of the camera, behind the camera. You know, in the olden days, it's like not every doctor is a man, and you know, not every you know, you know, scientist is a man, you know, or white or whatever. Everybody can be anything, and we look at that particularly because we have a younger audience, and so we want to encourage, you know, the teens and the twenty-somethings and the eighteen to thirty-four to know that, know that they can be anything they want to be. <laughs> this will be the last question. Pressure. <laughs> Uh, earlier, you mentioned accessibility, and I heard you say um, what the agent brings. Do, does anyone have a, a great success story of something that came through a non-traditional route, or something that popped out of nowhere? Maybe a web series coming to life, or something to give every individual creator out there a little uh, inspiration. Uh, one of the projects that I wor- uh, worked on, still to this day, one of my favorite projects is a documentary series called Behind the Mask that we did. It's about sports mascots, and it's actually really funny. And um, the, fir- look, the first day I got to my desk, uh, my boss said, can you just look at this really quickly? We're not going to do a stupid show about mascots. Just look at it, and we're probably going to pass. Just can you just take care of it? And I looked at it, and I saw the director, and I'm like, oh, this director... He had done a bunch of cool web stuff, but like was he was one of those few people where it was like, okay, he made one thing, and then the next thing was a little bit better, and then the next thing was a little bit better, and then the next thing was worse. But then he made another one, and then like, and so he was just he had the camera on, and he was creating, and so I uh, asked my boss if we could just figure this out because I did think there might be a sort of world where this guy it's again about the storyteller, not necessarily the story. I'm like, can we give this guy a shot? And I think we were able to do that, especially then, because we were working with much. We were, we had to be very aggressive, and I think we're trying to do that now because but we're in the age of, you know, these big packages coming in, so it's harder to get that through. But he was able to. He he had the time. We were able to give him the time to find the show and not just pass outright on it. And I, he made a great great series, and it uh, earned Tulu its first sports Emmy. So it was. This guy came out of nowhere and just, you know, and now he's working and doing a bunch of other stuff for us and has movie deals and stuff. So he definitely, like, it's just, I think the learning, at least for me from that, was just keep the camera on, keep writing, like, keep the, you know, final draft open, like, just keep creating. We got in a giant bidding war for Extant. Um, and that was he, the writer Mickey had no representation, nothing. He was he sat down in a coffee shop, had that idea and wrote it and got it to an assistant at an agency who read it and then recommended it to a boss. And next thing you know, it went to the kind of the highest up agents, and then other agents got word. I mean, it became kind of a feeding frenzy for his representation, and then it was out in the marketplace, I mean, three days later at every network, streamer, everybody. Um, and it was, it was, I mean, it was a real, it was a real story there of, of him just writing something that people connected to. Uh, I'm going to kick myself in the face for not remembering this, but Casual, the show uh, actually came from that, too. You, if you look up the writer's credits, Sander Lehman, he has no, it, the, his one credit is ca- Casual. 
Well, no. You're ruining my story. <laughs> but we made it. But we made it. Uh, but he, like, you know, this was a guy who just wrote, you know, they developed with fancy HBO. But, uh, but um, he wrote a script just on spec, and then Jason Reitman, who doesn't like to do TV and just wanted to do sort of independent films, was attracted to this voice. And we made it. I will say one thing just in terms of advice if you're asking about agents my favorite advice to give to your point you brought up I think agent assistants are the way to go it, rather than get your, getting your stuff to an I will say this because I used to be one you are agent assistants want to be promoted so they are hustling and they will hustle for you for free and so anything and they want to impress their boss they want to impress the department so if you don't worry about agents start with the assistant that's my advice agree yes. second um, well, that's all the time we have. Thank you to all of our panelists. Thank you to you guys for coming out. Thank you, ATX. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 